Before today's episode, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and recognise their continued connection to the beautiful land and sea. I'd also like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and I extend this acknowledgement to the traditional owners of the land my listeners are on. Welcome to Ritual the Podcast, your cottage in the woods, a sacred space for the witches, the healers, the magical folk to meet and speak of wisdom, witchery, and old world magic, where people come to learn, to hear stories, to share secrets, and to be free to be their true selves. Welcome to Ritual. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ritual. My name is Amy Harvey and I just want to warn you once again, I am sick. You're used to me being sick so this really shouldn't be anything different but I've just got that nice husky snotty tone to me today so just ignore that if that's not your vibe. Uh, But one exciting thing is my guest today, uh, someone I am super excited to have with me. We've been having like a back and forth trying to like find the right time and life has been getting in the way but we have found each other and I'm excited. Um, I've actually been following her for a while on Instagram and I find her practice it's just super interesting and it's something that I find is a little bit different to what you would normally find here in Australia so I was so keen to have a chat with her um And she has just come out with a book as well. So it's just, it's perfect timing to have her here. We have got the amazing Celeste Larson. Uh, Hello, Celeste. How are you? Hi, Amy. (laughs) It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad we could finally make this. I know, we did it. (laughs) Now, you are from America, but we are not talking to you in America right now, are we? You are in Ireland. I am in Cork, Ireland. Ah, do you know when we went there, that was on our list to do, but we, there's just like so many things that we wanted to see and we didn't make it to Cork, but next time we go, it's definitely on my list, like high up there. Oh yeah, you definitely should. I mean, Ireland's amazing everywhere you go, like you can't go wrong, but Cork is one of my favorite counties and yeah. I love Cork City, so it's it's great to be here. There is, there's too much to see. Like I, we just like smashed through like my partner, he's from Ireland. So obviously we had to go to Belfast where he's from, but we tried to get so much done there. But then we, like when we traveled, just the two of us, we could just see everything and just keep going. But we had two little toddlers at the time who like very quickly told us like, you are ruining our lives by making us do everything. (laughs) So we had to like really go, okay, fine will slow down but Ireland's just like it's such a cool country because there is so much old 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 history that you just like you drive around and there's like ruins of a castle just sitting there and you're like what that doesn't happen yes, it's it's just everywhere some farmer's field could have some yeah. amazing power ruins or a stone circle and for the most part, even if it's on private land, you are able to visit it. There's usually some kind of gate that you're able to pass through. So it's just amazing the history you have access to. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I will ask a bit more about Ireland a bit later on. But for my very first question, 
I am always very interested to know um, people's routines. Like it just fascinates me how people do things. So do you have a morning routine or a ritual that you like to do every morning? And it can be like a magical one or a mundane or kind of a mixture of the two. Yeah. So I am a big fan of morning routines because it's the start to your day. I feel like you're just calling in those energies with however you're spending the first part of your morning. Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, my morning routine is kind of always ebbing and flowing and changing with the seasons and depending on what I'm needing more of. Um, But I would say in general, I just like to always carve out some amount of time for myself. And I like for my mornings to be peaceful um, and kind of a slow start. So I'm not a caffeine or coffee drinker, which makes getting started. (laughs) I know. Respect. I know. (laughs) I just, uh, yeah, I found that it's not the best for my body and my system, but it also means that I do have to take my time in the mornings. Um, I can't just have my coffee and jump straight into work or exercise or whatever. So I usually kind of lounge in bed, which is quite nice. Um, I like to have a slow start, just kind of do some reflecting, thinking about what I have to do that day, kind of how I want my day to look. So it's very relaxed. um, But I find that that time for myself, having some space to think in the mornings really goes a long way for me. Um, And I usually try to make my way into, this is like my office and meditation room here. And I have my altar and even just lighting a candle and kind of sitting there for a moment. Sometimes I'll pull a rune or an Oracle card or I'll um, get some water and leave that as an offering for my ancestors. So it's really not structured. It's just sort of what I'm feeling called to do that day. Cool. So when you, so you don't drink coffee or tea. So do you have a replacement drink? Because I would feel lost in the morning if I didn't just like, <laughs> I don't know if it's just cause I'm used to it, but like, to have that, like, I don't know, like, I feel like something would be missing. Like, do you have something that you have instead? Yeah, I totally get that. Um, I do have a lot of herbal teas, so I'll always kind of go down and make various blends or whatever. And I usually have an herbal tea. That's okay. Um, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. (laughs) Yeah, I I get it. You need something first, first thing in the morning to ease into your day. (laughs) Um, now how, how did you begin your journey into witchcraft? Like, were you always a witch or did it come to you at a certain point in your life? Like, how did, how did you find yourself becoming magical and witchy? Yeah. So I would say in my heart and soul, I've always been a witch. I really can't remember a time in my life when I didn't have a passion for nature and for spirituality and the mysteries of the universe and magic and witchcraft like from a very young age I remember being very very drawn to that yeah Um, and fortunately my family was very open-minded about that kind of thing Um, my my stepmom would take us to um, you know energy healers and psychics and crystals and um, my mom passed away when I was 13, but she was very, she wasn't witchy necessarily, but she was very into nature. Like I have these memories of her writing poems about trees and dancing in the moonlight. And so, yeah, I was definitely inspired by my parents and sort of my upbringing a lot. Yep. Um, and so that was nice. However, I didn't really identify as a witch necessarily. Um, yeah. I just didn't. I didn't really have that 
kind of sense of community or know that like you could really be a witch um, yeah <laughs> that was a thing that people called themselves and yeah. identified as and that you could practice witchcraft so um yeah so I, I didn't really have that terminology for it but I definitely was connected in the same kind of ways that I am now uh-huh. um but then that did did start to go away a bit as I got older in high school and especially college years I really got away from my spiritual practices and my interest in magic um, and all things spiritual and I think that was really out of a desire to fit in more with totally. certain groups of people that I wanted to fit in with you know yep. the cool kids were yeah. <laughs> doing these kinds of things and so I really um, yeah, really just sort of left that part of myself behind for a little bit. And it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties that I got back into it. And, you know, that's what has led me to where I am now and identifying as a witch and a pagan Yeah, uh, really came about in my mid twenties. It's so funny because I think nearly every single person who I've asked that question to, they have all said that around that like 17 to mid twenties point, you do mm-hmm. abandon it because I think you're just so insecure with who you are, unless you're like one of those like really freaky people who are just like, yes, this is who I am. 100%. I've known it since birth and whatever, but most people, you just kind of like lose your identity for a little while. And even though you might have a calling, you do, you're just so conscious of what other people are doing that that's your world. And then you kind of get to that mid twenties point. And maybe like, for me, it was when I first became a mom that I was like, something doesn't feel right within myself, but usually it is around that age when people go, no, there's like something missing. Like I feel really out of alignment and you just, it just finds you. It's like, it's, you know, it's like that friend who's been waiting in the car for you for hours, like just going, it's okay, take your time. And then when you do get to that point, it's like, yo, you're a witch. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And like <laughs> I said, you know, my family was supportive about these kinds of things. So it really wasn't in my case, even like a, like a religious upbringing kind yeah. of issue or a, a family, um, you know, rejecting my form of spirituality, it really was like societal and um, yeah, going to college in a conservative area where everybody uh, had the same religious viewpoints. And it was definitely not the norm to, um, you know, believe that trees were sacred. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whereabouts were you from? Do you say you're from Texas? Yes, I moved around a lot um, throughout my life, but Texas is the place that I most consider home. It's where I was living before moving to Ireland, but I went to college in um, a small town in South Carolina, which is kind of even more. (laughs) I was going to say what you (laughs) picture Texas to be, yeah. I was going to say, because between like, yeah, South Carolina and Texas, I can't say that they're the most like witchiest places I've ever heard of. So (laughs) how did you find then like coming out, like coming out as a witch, like, did you ever get any backlash or was the group of people that you have around you at that point, like, had you kind of shifted through the cool people to find like the right people by that point? Yeah, it's funny. I, it's been so much worse in my head than, than anything that actually (laughs) ended up happening as I've come out to people about being a witch and being a pagan you know, of course, I have all of these fears about being rejected. And I'm sure that there have been some people who 
maybe have thoughts about it that they haven't shared with me, but um, (laughs) I have had a very positive experience with it. And I do think it is because I tend to surround myself with people who, um, you know, are accepting and it's not like I've ever strayed so far from, from my true self. Like people would still come to me and be like, oh, like what crystal should I use for you know, attracting love into my life or how do I cleanse this new home that I just moved into? They just didn't know that I identified as a witch. Yeah. So you weren't like, it wasn't a complete shock. If you were still in that arena, then it wasn't like too crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of how I tried to <laughs> to live my life is I wanted people to know who I was. Um, and for me, it is important using the word witch. Um, and that's been really healing, being able to come out to people and use that terminology. Um, but at least I wasn't ever kind of hiding my interests so yeah. much. There, It, it depends. Um, and yeah. I do talk about that in my book a bit, um, how I, I would hide my interests occasionally from, from certain people. But um, for the most part, people kind of knew that I was into these things that I dabbled, let's say. (laughs) Cool. And so you identify then as an animist. It's not something that I think I have really heard too much, at least in this country, maybe I'm just completely oblivious and I haven't noticed, but can you explain like what is an animist? What, what is that belief? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the animistic worldview really is the foundation of my spiritual and magical practices Mm -hmm. as a pagan and a witch. So animism is the belief or the knowledge that the world is alive with spirits and that everything is alive and has vital life force energy. Um, So humans, of course, that's generally kind of accepted in, you know, throughout many of the world's religions that humans have a soul. Um, Animists also believe that plants and animals, but even things that we typically think of as non-living. So a river or a rock um, or the wind yeah. or even a building or a um, a human-made object, especially like a spiritual tool. Like if you've carved something out of wood, believing that that has a spirit as well, um, which is just such a beautiful way, I think, to see the world and Again, this is something I've kind of always felt before I had the terminology for it as a kid. And I think many kids kind of go around feeling that the world is alive with spirits. Yeah. Like kids are just, they don't have that conditioned out of them yet. And so they can be walking and, you know, see a mushroom and feel that like it has some kind of energy. Yeah. Um, Like feel the mystical energy of a certain place, like walking into a forest and being like, oh, like, what is this presence that I'm feeling? And you know, kids might not have the term animist, but um, no, that's but the they just feel it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it is something that so animism was for a very long time in human history, sort of the the foundation of human spirituality. So if we go back thousands of years to the Neolithic era and before, really most humans were animists, and that was um, really like why they believed that the sun was so sacred and the moon and the stars and, um, you know, forests and rivers and bogs where they would deposit these, um, you know, ritual artifacts and offerings. And we've really kind of lost touch with that in Western society. However, many indigenous peoples around the world do still uphold animist 
um, worldviews and beliefs, which is really beautiful because we find in these cultures, um, you know, whether it's indigenous people in the Americas or in uh, Europe or in Australia, that they tend to have such a strong connection with the environment yeah. and with the natural world. And they're very good stewards of the environment. And yeah. that's something I really love about animism as well. Is like, how can you feel comfortable polluting a river when you believe that the river has a spirit and is a, a relative in a way um, yeah. and you have a relationship with that river? That's just, it's such a beautiful way to look at the world like it's funny when you talk about how um you know people who are indigenous to that place they have that that real like knowledge of their land so here we get really bad um bushfires and it was a couple of years ago we had a particularly really really bad one and it's because like it wasn't prevented in a way that it should have been. And what they learned from it is they actually spoke to the Aboriginal people and said, um, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Like, what do we do now? Because there's so much damage and we just really had no idea of how we were supposed to even approach this. And they were like, we know what the land needs and how you can almost prevent the fire from coming back or how you can prevent it in the future, what you need to do to like repair it. And so now we're working together to actually understand how you can prevent these things from happening. And I think, yeah, so seeing the world in that way and seeing nature as a living thing, to me, it makes sense. But I guess to someone that doesn't have that kind of like magical background, you wouldn't think about it. But I think, yeah, it's such a beautiful way to kind of live in harmony with nature because we really are a part of that. Like you, like you said, you go way, way back. We lived in nature. We didn't live in houses with TVs and phones and whatever. We lived in caves and under trees and we lived with the land. So it makes sense that it would be alive because we're alive as well. Like I, you know, I just think it's a beautiful way to look at it. But um, I also think it's really cool because even when you go into like a house and you can have two different houses, like despite who lives in there, you're going to walk into them and they're going to have these different feelings immediately. And I think when you like take that animism like kind of view, it makes sense as to why they would feel different because the houses themselves are alive. So you might walk into one and go, I feel so welcome here and I feel so at ease and happy where you walk into the other one, you go, Ooh, I feel like maybe I'm not so welcome because it's almost like you're dealing with two different people. Yes, absolutely. And that's been such an interesting experience, you know, like moving over here to Ireland and we just yeah. moved into this home in September and um, throughout the housing process, you know, we looked at many different homes and, yeah, it was very interesting seeing how different the energies felt. And, you know, of course, when when you're home shopping, you have your list of things that you're looking for, like, oh, I want two bathrooms and I want this many bedrooms and whatever. But you kind of can't account for for that unseen yeah. sort of element and for the energy. And that was something that when we found the home that we're living in, it just there were so many things cosmetically wrong with it. <laughs> but the energy was so good and we just immediately were like yes this is where we're going to live well you can fix that stuff but you can't really fix like the what type of personality and like energy your house is going to have so I think 
you'd probably like go with the good one rather than the grumpy one. Yeah, it's definitely a much harder thing <laughs> to fix. Didn't um, we have like a weird thing with, um? I remember seeing you, you found like a tile from your bathroom floor. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell that story? Yes. Um. Okay. So we have this sort of empty lot, I guess you could say in mm-hmm. our neighborhood. Um. It's just sort of a overgrown green space where it's not, nobody really uses it, but there's nothing built on it either. And I've always sort of felt like, oh, I wish that this area was maybe utilized a little bit more. Like it would be so lovely if there were some trees in here because it's really just grass and like dandelions grow in the summer. It's very overgrown and nobody actually enjoys this space. And I live in, um, in the city. So there's a bit of a lack of access to green spaces. So it just, I just thought it would be so nice to have this space actually kind of used a bit more. So I've been wanting to get to know this little plot of land. And so I've been taking my dog there and just wanting to spend some time and kind of feel the energy. And I was actually thinking about scattering some wildflower seeds just to sort of, yes, like, well, no one's really it. taking care of this space. And, <laughs> you know, I might, I might as well do something with it. And so I was walking around the space and I was trying to connect with the land and I was getting a very kind of off like negative feeling from it where it just didn't feel very receptive to me when I you know I stated my intention oh, I'd like to come here and scatter these wildflower seeds and I kind of got like a just don't come around here kind of yeah. feeling and I was like what is this about um so I sorry my phone started ringing That's um, so I was walking through the field and I was in the middle like the dead center of this plot of land. Yeah. And I looked down and saw this little tile, like a small, like one inch by one inch piece of tile. And I recognized <laughs> it because it's the same tile that's in my bathroom. And I was like, what is this? And so I picked it up and I looked at it and it was definitely tile from my bathroom, which I will say is not like, it's not totally, uh, implausible that this would happen it's pretty we weird in our bathroom we redid our bathroom when we moved in so like there was materials that were hauled away yeah but it is strange that it ended up in a spot of land that's not like directly adjacent to my house right in the center as well pretty- yeah right in the center and so I picked it up and kind of like brought it back and I've done you know I do like a lot of like trance work and um, hedge witchcraft and yeah. spirit flight and so I, I've done a lot of that to connect with the land and basically what I have discovered and also through sharing this on Instagram and getting some feedback from people has kind of helped lead me in the right direction I feel that this land has maybe like witnessed some kind of traumatic event um, that like something bad happened here yeah and that it just is a little scarred from that um, and that that's why it was kind of pushing me away and not wanting people to come around. But I found that as I've continued coming back, um, and that was something like I asked the land, like, what can I do? What can I do for you? Um, Because I feel that I've been led to this spot, like this particular spot in the center of the land. There's literally a piece of my home here. Yeah. So, you know, I feel that I have some kind of purpose here. What can I do? And the response that I intuitively felt and heard was to keep coming back and just like observe like see what 
flowers are growing there throughout different seasons, see what birds are coming around and just kind of get to know the land. And I've done more of my trance work with it. And that's, that's really what I have ended up feeling is that it has some kind of just like a wound, you know, a trauma. And I feel that my presence there of just going and enjoying the land has in a way been healing for it. And what I've decided I want to do is I really want to plant a tree in that spot. I have a very strong connection with oak trees. um, So I would love to plant an oak tree there or maybe some kind of fruit bearing tree. But I think I will get in contact with the city just to make sure that no one comes and like mows it over or something. (laughs) Can you imagine? Um, But I feel that that would be so healing for it. And it feels like the right thing to do and that more people might want to come and enjoy this land you know people who live locally in the neighborhood and I just feel that would be very healing for it and that's kind of what I feel it wants so that's so beautiful I love that it's almost like it knew as well like it knew that you would help it but it was like still resisting because it's like no 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 I'm I've been hurt I don't want you to like go near me but also stay because I think I like you and I think like yeah. the fact that a bit of your bathroom wasn't like scattered on the side. It was like in the middle. It was almost like, you know, how cats are like, get away from me, but I'll come to you. It was almost, it's almost like that kind of energy of like, I'll come to you when I'm ready. And it did. And now you've like got that beautiful relationship. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, even people can be like that when a person has been hurt, they can push yeah. people away, but they often do need help and you just have to be patient with them and let them kind of come around in their own terms. Yeah. So that's been my experience with this land. I love that. That's a great story. Um, so going back then to your practice, how would you then um, include like an animistic approach to like day-to-day like life? What would you do? Like, do you have something that you do every day that involves that or like, like, how would you, how would you do that? Yeah, I would say that my animistic worldview is definitely sort of interwoven with my day-to-day practices um, and my practices as a witch, which I would also say are sort of interwoven. Like, yeah, I, it might surprise people. I don't often, maybe I don't as often as people would think, sit at my altar and cast spells or no. create charms. Um my witchy practices really are part of like my daily routines. And so for me in the winter, um, you know, we don't have central heating here. So the fire we genuinely use like for warmth and yeah. it's also just lovely in the winter time it's having the a fire best. burning yeah. in the hearth. It's so nice. And so one of my practices is I like to sing to the fire as I'm lighting it. And that's my way to sort of call in the element of fire and connect with like the wood and connect with the hearth and my house and it just feels like a very nice ritual and I feel that it helps the fire burn better and so it just kind of benefits in every way Um, and it's a simple sometimes I sing a certain song sometimes I just sort of hum or I'll make up a song as I go along I do the same thing with cooking Um, if I'm cooking something I like to sing while I'm chopping vegetables or adding them to the pot and I just find that it's funny. I've never been someone who identifies as a singer at all, but I do so much work with that now. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite ways to just sort of weave magic into what I'm doing because yeah. you can 
you know, sort of get into a meditative state a little bit and call in energies with the melody, with the words that you're using. And it's such a nice way to, to connect with what you're doing. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, a way I would say my animistic worldview shapes my witchcraft and my day-to-day practices is like when I'm cooking, I'm calling upon those herbs that I'm adding and asking specifically, like, can you lend, you know, rosemary, can you lend this, these protective properties to the soup that I'm making so that my family that were nourished and protected. Um, And I like to really phrase it as asking rather than like commanding or controlling because that's an element of right relationship and treating all spirits with respect, which is really important in the animistic worldview. I love that. It just like, I feel like it just gives this deeper level to basically everything in life. Like what the way you were describing the fire, it's not just like the actual element of fire, but it's also the wood. And then you could also say it's like, you know, the chimney that it's sitting in and then the air that you're blowing on to like make the flames get bigger. And even the match that you do, like everything has an energy to it and a force. And I think when you look at it that way, it just like, it blows my mind because it's almost like you light up the world around you even more by like going, wow, everything around me has this like purpose and this kind of like heartbeat. I don't know. That's like the first thing I thought of is like, it's like everything has a heartbeat. And when you see it that way, you automatically have more respect for everything around you. I think that's such a cool way to look at the world. Yes, that's a beautiful way to put it with the heartbeat. I love that. Yeah, I love it. That's so cool. It's so cool. Um, Now, you have written a book. Very exciting. Heal the Witch Wound. I am so excited about this book. I think that it has so many messages and so much information that needs to be shared. Um, And first of all, can you explain... What is a witch wound? Yes. So a witch wound is a spiritual wound or a psychic wound is another way that I describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has its roots in the historical persecution of witches. So this is often referred to as the burning times or the witch craze. And a lot of times, especially in the U.S. where I'm from, people think about the witch trials, they think about Salem, but that really was such a small part of what was happening compared to what was going on in Europe at that same time and in the hundreds of years before the Salem witch trials. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know exactly how many people were executed um, as witches or or suspected as, as being witches, but the number that we um, have from historians and scholars is 50 to 60,000 is kind of what most people think, um, possibly up to 100,000 or even more. Um, because, you know, there were so many different factors sort of interwoven with the witchcraft accusations that sometimes it's, it's hard to say. And we also don't have numbers for people who, for instance, were killed by an angry mob uh, yeah. because they were suspected of being witches. So um, but this period of time is where the, the witch wound stems from. And so the witch wound is, as I said, a spiritual wound that at its core really makes it feel unsafe to be yourself as a witch, as a spiritual person, and to lean into your magic and to claim your power and to 
share that with the world. And so this can manifest itself in so many different ways. Um, we also have sisterhood wounds in this because of course, um, many of the people who were accused of witchcraft and executed, they were being tortured in the most horrific ways imaginable. And they were expected to give names of other witches. They, yeah. Their suffering didn't end when they confessed. They would continue to be tortured until they named sometimes more than 30 other people. Um, wow. And so, yeah, so it, we have sisterhood wounds that shows up. Um, we have money wounds because oftentimes the people who were accused of witchcraft, it would be women who maybe owned land. Um, yeah. Often they were widows. So their husbands had died. They had inherited the home and the wealth and people didn't like that. They didn't like the idea of a woman having the wealth. Yeah. Um, we have herbalists and healers and women who worked for themselves and had their own businesses offering these services that were in direct competition with male educated doctors and priests. So they were accused of witchcraft. And so it shows up just in so many ways. It's very insidious, um, not just in terms of doubting ourselves as witches and practitioners of magic, but can show up in our relationships and our careers. Um, and just the way that we kind of move through the world and interact with other people. Yeah. You know, the reason why I was so glad that you did write a book like that is because it's something that I think I get messages about probably the most is people always say something like, you know, I think that, you know, this path really calls to me, but I just don't feel like I can talk to anybody about it. I don't feel like, I feel like I'll feel judged. I just don't feel safe talking about it. And you go, if this was any other religion, like if you said, you know, I came out as a Christian, I found, you know, Buddhism, people wouldn't really think twice about it at all. But if you say the words, I'm a witch, there is so much that immediately appears, whether it's like the stereotypical like hocus pocus witch around the cauldron turning kids into rats. There's like all the the Salem witch trial kind of thing. There's like it's weird, it's different, it's evil. And like we're in 2023 and people still have that idea that it's like that. And we've had nothing in our lifetime that should make us think otherwise, but it's something that's like so ingrained in our minds that I think it's really sad that when you find something that is so beautiful and so peaceful and connects you to the land, connects you to each other, and you feel shame for that, there's something really wrong there. So I think the fact that you wrote a book about that and actually named it for what it is, is going to bring people so much peace because there's nothing wrong with being a witch. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong with the color of your skin. There's nothing wrong with what makes you who you are. And I think it's sad that there is that wound that goes back really to a time when it wasn't about being a witch. It was about, like you said, like money, power, you know, I don't like you. So I'm going to throw your name in or, you know, maybe my husband looked at you too quickly. So I'm going to throw you in as well. Like it never came down to someone who was actually a witch doing bad spells on anybody. 
it just came down to a whole bunch of bullshit. And I think it's sad that that has come so far to this very day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you were speaking, it reminded me of a story that I read in the Malleus Maleficarum, which <sighs> I've used a lot as a resource book when I was writing. For anyone who doesn't know, um, it's like the most infamous witch hunting handbook in history. It was used um, very um, like was a widespread resource during during the witch trials because it came out around the time that the printing press was invented. So it was able to just circulate far and wide. Um, but and they gave it I to everyone, it, didn't they? They just gave it to everyone. Yeah, yeah it was literally used as a resource um, for hunting witches and is basically a handbook for how to identify witches. So I use this a lot in my um, research for my book and it <laughs> It made me think about this um, the story in there, this experience where there was a woman who she was sort of like an outcast, like she literally lived on the outskirts of town and she was excluded from a lot of social events in the town. I think she might have been a widow. I can't remember. And the town was having some sort of feast or party or gathering and she wasn't invited because the townsfolk didn't like her and during the party there was a hailstorm which came down and it destroyed a lot of things and it destroyed crops and the people blamed her for it because they literally shunned her and they were like well now she's getting revenge on us because we've treated her badly and so that story stood out to me as just like in these times you couldn't win like this woman was already rejected she was already an outcast in her society and anytime something bad happened to the town they were like well it must be this person we're abusing (laughs) why why what was wrong with her that they shunned her just because she was a widow I think yeah I think she was just someone who kind of was she was probably impoverished which is why she didn't live in the town she lived kind of like on the outskirts and you know oftentimes there were people um who who never married these would have attracted attention it could be people who had mental or physical disabilities there were so many reasons um, yeah. that you could be identified as being a witch and really it mostly came down to not fitting into society's yeah. standards in some way having too much or too little power um, I think it's really funny that you're using that book though, to help write a book about it now. <laughs> like what, that's like ultimate, like, um, karma. <laughs> I'm like, thank you so yeah. much. I'm going to write about <laughs> empowering witches. Thank you so much for that. Hey everyone. I'm just going to pause today's episode for a moment. I hope you're enjoying it. It sounds super interesting. If you're enjoying this podcast and you're thinking, hey, how could I support this show? Then the best way to do that is to jump over to Patreon and become one of my patrons where you'll get access to additional content, videos, bonus episodes of Ritual with Amy Harvey, that is me, learning tools to help you on your witchy path and special discounts to my online store, rosongcottage.com. Take it away, voiceover guy. That's right, simply head to patreon.com forward slash Cottage to get all the goodies and support your favourite podcast in the entire world, Ritual with Amy Harvey. Now, back to the show. Um, so what drew you then to create this book? Well, 
I would definitely say that looking back on my life, I can see how the witch wound has been impacting me throughout my life. Like even from a very young age, I kind of always had this feeling of not wanting to be identified as different, I guess. Like, you know, I've always disliked a lot of attention on me, especially when it comes to me standing out in some way or or kind of going against the norm, which is funny because I feel like I sort of have always like that's sort of who I am in a lot of ways (laughs) being a very sensitive person being neurodivergent um, being interested in witchcraft and spirituality like it is just hard for me to fit in to society's standards and it always has been and I've always been very self-conscious of that yeah um and then like I mentioned earlier, especially as I grew up and got into my teenage years, high school and university, I really became aware of that and really shunned that part of myself. And coming back to witchcraft and paganism, it felt like such a homecoming and so healing for me. And just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I meant to be doing. Like, I guess I don't regret my journey because I've learned so much, really? but it would have been so beautiful if I could have embraced this part of myself earlier. And so yeah. I would have loved a book like this when I was younger and, or really at any age, I, w- I would love this book, you know, just a couple of years ago. And so I wrote this book for really anybody who has struggled with the same kind of feelings. And I've gotten so many messages from people just saying how nice it's been to feel validated and encouraged and to know that they're not alone in wanting to practice witchcraft and wanting to practice earth-based spirituality, but feeling the shame and guilt and fear and anxiety and uncertainty about sharing it with other people, feeling like they're doing something wrong or that they're doing something dangerous and um, to just yeah to hear from someone who's gone through it and that's what I wanted I if I could even just impact one person to say that you're not alone and I get it and there's nothing wrong with you and keep doing what you're doing then my mission is accomplished and fortunately I think I've impacted more than one person absolutely absolutely you have I think it's such a strong and powerful message that people will need to hear, unfortunately, for years and years and years to come. Um, now, did I hear that you you said that you felt that maybe in a past life you might have been um, not an executioner, but maybe like on the side of somebody who either dobbed someone in or like you weren't like the witch? Like often people will say, I feel like, in a past life, I was a witch who was like persecuted and whatever, but you actually thought you were the other way around. Yeah. So I think that's such an interesting topic that doesn't often get discussed yeah. very often in, in talking about the witch wound. Um, it's not so much that I feel that I, I was that in a past life, but I feel like that exists somewhere in my family line and in my history. Interesting. Um, yeah. Especially on my dad's side, it's kind of just an intuitive feeling like I can look and see patterns in in my family history of the people in the generations above me really like valuing correctness, I guess you could say, like yeah. wanting to be seen as like good and doing the right thing and feeling a lot of shame about 
making a mistake um, or like going against authority. And so I just kind of feel like there was something there. Um, I feel like, and my family on my dad's side is from Denmark and Germany, which are two places where the witch wound, where the witch hunts were especially vicious, especially Germany and the Holy Roman Empire, like there were German towns where all but two female inhabitants were executed. Whoa. Just imagine. Yeah. Just imagine if you're one (sighs) of two women left in a village where hundreds, hundreds of women have been executed. That's intense. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's so many ways that, you know, often we think, to be impacted by something like the witch wound, we have to have a past life experience or an ancestor has to have been a witch, but there were so many people who were affected in so many ways. Um, even the witch hunters, even yeah. the leaders of society who were inciting, you know, the, the witch craze as a form of scapegoatism to distract from the problems of society. Yeah. Like, because often, Often there were things like hailstorms and crop failures and disease. And that's when the the witch craze would really kick up. Um, and just the people who witnessed the trials and executions as well. Like that has to be so traumatic for yeah. them. Um, in the case of the German town with two women left, that would be extremely traumatizing for those two women. And even for, for the men and the children in that town as well to see all of these horrors unfolding even though they themselves weren't accused and tortured the fear is what you know lives on and is passed down through the generations yeah absolutely and you don't you don't often think about that because like yeah you can blame people for you know dubbing in other people or for whatever reason they had but it would have been really terrifying to be alive at that point. Like you would be overthinking everything you did, every conversation you had, how you looked at people, like, should I even leave the house? But if I don't leave the house, maybe they'll think I'm hiding something or you would just be in a constant state of fear. And if you knew, especially if you're a woman and you knew that women were being picked off one by one, it's like a, like a dog eat dog world. Like you would go, well, I'm going to do whatever I can to survive. So maybe I have to do this and I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to just like point someone, point at someone and say, I think they did this because what if they did it to me? So there is a lot of shame in that. And maybe they were forced to do it. Maybe they were just really fearful. And I'm sure there were some people who just took advantage of it, but that in itself would have guilt and karma and all that that will be waiting for them so yeah it's interesting to look at how it isn't just the witch that would be affected by it's just everybody and it's such a shame it's such a waste of life over something so stupid and nothing that even really matters anymore but I think yeah it's such a really it's a different way to look at it I think yeah absolutely and like I said people often don't think about it but for most of us you know most likely we we probably don't have a witch ancestor from that time um I mean it's hard to say but you know proportionally most people weren't accused of witchcraft during that time but there's a good chance that we do have ancestors who were affected by it yeah Um, and so that's important to hold space for 
for all of those possibilities. Absolutely. And what would you then say if you felt like you had a wound, whether it is in whatever element it comes, it comes from, how would you heal it? What would you, what would be your recommendation? I know it's like a big question because it's like so many different ways to answer it, but how would you even start the healing process? Yeah. So I guess I would say the first thing is to kind of think about how this wound is manifesting for you. Um, since there are so many different ways that the witch wound can show up in your life. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you feel like you have some money scarcity fears, like feelings that you shouldn't make too much money because you think that money is dirty and evil and bad and you kind of undercharge for your services um, to consider like, okay, do I have some sort of ancestral wounding there? Like, can I look at my family history, even if I don't know for sure? And can I consider whether maybe my ancestors had these kind of fears? And mm. could it be that this is not really mine to hold, but I've been, I've inherited this from someone who came before me. Um, and, you know, regardless really of what symptoms of the witch wound you're experiencing, I think that ancestor work is a great place to start um, because you can uncover so much about these wounds that that you have inherited from the people who came before you. Yep. And often something I hear from people is, well, I don't know exactly who my ancestors were, or I am adopted, or I'm not in touch with my family. And you really don't have to know the names of your ancestors or where they came from in order to do this work. It's really much more about reaching out energetically and spiritually <laughs> and receiving that wisdom intuitively so you can use a form of divination like automatic writing or a pendulum or pulling runes or oracle cards or if you do trance work and spirit flight you can use that to connect with your ancestors in the spiritual realm um, you can ask to receive messages through dreams and the hardest part is often just trusting what comes through yeah. often we do receive messages and then we doubt ourselves well like you know I don't know for sure if my ancestors really went through this it doesn't like it doesn't really matter if you know for sure it's about what you do with the information that you're receiving yeah. um, so I think that ancestor work is a great place to start because in so many ways the witch wound is an ancestral wound um, but aside from that, I would say it's really about self-acceptance. So don't discount simple practices like affirmations and yeah. saying to yourself every day in the mirror, I am magical or I own my power. It's safe for me to be me. Um, one affirmation that I have worked with a lot over the years and that I really love is it's safe to be me and it's safe to be rejected because it feels so unsafe to be rejected in yeah. whatever form. Or someone is saying you're crazy or you're weird or you're childish or you're sinful and evil, that is painful, but I'm still safe in my body if someone thinks that regardless of what they think about me, someone can think whatever they want and I can still be totally safe and my nervous system is regulated and I'm happy and content with myself. Um, and so just realizing I don't have to be liked by everybody. I don't yeah. have to be accepted by everybody. It is so much more important for me to be happy with myself than for other people to be happy with myself. Because at the end of the day, I 
I'm the one who has to live with myself at the end yeah. of my life. I want to look back and be like, I'm happy with who I was, even if other people weren't because they're not going to be there. Yeah. I heard this thing and it was like, um, what other people think of me is none of my business. And mm-hmm. it's so true because I was the same. Like I, what someone thought about me was everything. And if I would always over analyze like, oh, they looked at me weird. Do they think I'm like, do they not like me anymore? Do they think this about me? Like, so like craving other people's acceptance and, and validation and all of that. And then you do just get to this point where you go, I'm living my life, hoping that other people think it's okay, which is making me miserable. And the reality is there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that don't agree with you. There are going to be people that think what you do is weird or your belief is wrong. Who cares? Like there's other people that I don't really like and other people I don't agree with. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we can't get along with everybody in the world. It's just not possible. Um, And I think once you embrace that, And it can be hard because sometimes it's people who are the closest to you. And it's sometimes people who are in your family or your friends or someone that's going to hurt. But ultimately, like you said, you live with you forever and you have to feel and dream and think all the things you do every single day. So as long as you are true to yourself you're going to be happy. And yeah, maybe in that moment, someone will say something and it might make you sad, but you're going to be happier and stronger knowing that you stuck up for yourself and you stay true to what you believe in rather than just living for somebody else, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, you can do everything right by someone else's standards and they could still not like you. And how much does that suck if you're living for someone else and they still don't like you? Yeah. So you might as well live for yourself. I agree. I agree. Um, Now, you, like we said before, have moved over to Ireland. So you're from the States, moved to Ireland. How, how How do you feel then? Because the energy and the history alone in Ireland, especially when it's like to do with witchcraft, paganism and all of that is huge, hugely different. How do you feel like it's enhanced your practice having moved there? Yeah, it's definitely (laughs) had a big impact on my practice. Um, I guess for one thing, I'll say I have identified for the last several years as a Norse pagan. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that is because that's my, that's my ancestry. They came from Denmark and Sweden and other places in Europe, but I've always connected with my Scandinavian ancestry the most. And so moving to Ireland, of course, it's impossible to not be drawn in by the Celtic mythology and by the, the Celtic deities, the Irish deities and the stories of this land and it's so rich the stories that are kept alive here like there are wedge tombs and stone circles and all of these amazing megalithic monuments within an hour's drive from my house that have these stories connected to them about the druids and about gods and goddesses and this the land really is just so alive with these stories here um And the Irish really have a beautiful way of regarding their history and their mythology in the sense that the two are very interwoven. Like there's 
not a lot of distinction between what is fact and fiction in Irish history. And yeah. they just sort of accepted like, well, we don't really know if this person lived. We don't know if they had magical powers, if they performed this blessing, but we kind of, it's it's history and it's mythology. And, so we're going to go with it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I have so much respect for that. Um, and yeah, it, this land has taught me so much and it's kind of opened up a new world of of teachings that I wasn't as connected with before moving here. Um, and of course, being an animist, there's so much yeah. magic to discover. I was going to say, me. you'd be like yeah. constantly buzzing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even just, you know, going to the forests and the the rivers, like there are so many <sighs> places that they have their own stories. Yeah. Like, the river that goes through my city there's a legend about it that it was formed by a giant serpent that was being banished from this kind of alpine you know mountain spring um that's about an hour away from here and it was slithering away to the sea and that that's what formed this river which is just so cool so cool <laughs> and yeah I have a strong connection with this river and that kind of gives me a new way to think about it and to learn about it and connect with it yeah and I saw that you stayed in this amazing castle recently can yes, you tell me um, about that because it looks so cool <laughs> it was so cool so I had booked this quite a while ago because it does book out far in advance so if you ever are coming back to Ireland yeah let me know and I'll send you the link so that yes you, you have to yes I will um but yeah it's it's amazing this couple has has gone in and just one of those abandoned tower castles in a farmer's field um, we met with a couple who restored it and they they specifically wanted to restore a castle and they wanted to live in it which is so cool as you um, do yes and yeah as you do <laughs> and so they found this one and you know approached the farmer whose land it was on and told them what they wanted to do so the farmer sold it to them um, so now they own this plot of land in the castle and they've spent the last, I can't remember how, how many years it's been, but they've restored it so beautifully and um, they're still working on that. So people who, who stay there, that income goes towards further renovating other rooms in the castle. Oh. But it was amazing to just be in this building that has so many hundreds of years. Like these are the same stone walls that have always been there. And like how many people have walked through the there stories it would have. Yes. And so I absolutely love that. I love a good historic site and a yeah. castle is just the perfect vibes. I have to ask because when we were there, we went to, now I can't remember now the correct way of saying it, but there's Kildare or Kildara. I don't know. I know maybe you can say both. I think both is fine. I think that Kildara would be the more um, Irish way of saying it. And yeah. but most people say Kildare and that's kind of the anglicized um, name that's used now. So for those who haven't who haven't heard of it before, that's where um, Bridget's Flame was. And you can go there and there's like this amazing kind of pit that traditionally only women can go into. Um, and that's where her eternal flame was. And there's like so much history in this one tiny little patch. And I think you went to the same place. I did. Yeah. For in bulk Bridget's day. Oh, that's so cool that you went then. Like that would have been perfect. Um, yeah, but I want to know 
there, when we, when I went there, there's like this little, I don't even know what it was, but you go down into the ground and it's like this pit kind of room that I don't know what they had in there. I can't even remember if anyone told me, but it was like this really dark kind of room. Did you go into that next to the church? I don't think I went into there. Um, ah. Was it outside or was it? It was inside? outside, outside, but you, it was outside, but you go into almost like an underground room. And when oh, I wow. went in there, I just got the most like horrific feeling. Like I was like, I don't know if they locked people in here or what the deal was. But as soon as I walked in, you know, you just like immediately feel uncomfortable. And I was just mm-hmm. wanting to know, like, if you were in that as well, did you feel anything? Cause I'm like, I need to know what happened in this room because I feel like, you know, obviously they went through the whole, she's Bridget, the pagan goddess too. Now she's St. Bridget. So you need to believe in her or else we'll kill you. Like, I don't know if that, it, it was part of that process or I don't know, but that room just spooked me out hardcore. Wow. I did not go in there and I wish that I had, I'll have to go back some next time and see if I can find it. Yeah. And I'm <coughs> sure I'll, I'll pick up on a similar energy. I'm you got to tell me. I'm very interested. Um, okay. So do you have done the morning? Do you have an evening uh, routine or ritual that you like to do? I would say my evenings are kind of similar where I don't have a super structured routine. Um, but a practice that I do really enjoy is just simple journaling. Um, so I love to write down three things that I'm grateful for about the day, which is just so nice to kind of connect with connect with that energy, you know, like, like attracts like. And so when you are embodying those feelings of gratitude and abundance and like, I've received so many blessings today. (laughs) I just feel that you continue to stay attuned to that kind of energy and call it in more easily. So I love gratitude journaling. And with that, I also like to write down one thing that I love about myself and I'm Mm. totally like open to whatever comes through. Some days it's physical, like I love my legs or some days it's, I love that I am a caring partner. Some days it's, I love that I have achieved this kind of whatever, like just whatever's coming through. Um, Some days it's, it's easier than others, but I can always find something and that's important. Yeah. I'm big into journaling as well. I usually do mine in the morning, but I always do the things I'm grateful for because I find even when you're in like the worst mood and you write that it shifts you immediately because you're like, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It just is kind of an instant mood booster and shifts your perspective. And it's not about spiritual bypassing or anything it's about kind of expanding your perspective to see everything that's going on so like yes it's true that this really annoying bad thing happened today and I'm holding space for that and it's true that these really good things happened and I'm holding space for that too totally I love that okay before we finish I have got the five like spitfire round questions these are like the really deep ones (laughs) okay (laughs) so first one is (laughs) If you could watch a movie a thousand times, what would it be? 
It would be Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> yes. Absolutely love that. Yes. yes. Do you know, I was obsessed with that when I was a kid and my partner and I were saying like, we have to watch them all again because we haven't watched all the Hobbits yet. We've only watched one. So we're like, I just want to sit and watch all of them and just like escape into that world because they're so good. They are. They are. It's just so much nostalgia and like, yeah. I love it. And especially that first one, there's something about it. Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. Good answer. Um, what is a book that changed your life? Braiding Sweetgrass is a book that has definitely changed my life. Um, it's absolutely just, I mean, it's all about animism. Yeah. Um, it's by Rob, Robin Wall Kimmerer, I think is her name. And it's just a gorgeous book. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No, I'm not. I'm interested though. So it's like a collection of essays, basically, from her point of view. She's um, an Indigenous American woman, and yeah. it's all about her connection with sweetgrass as one of many plants. She has a section about maples and about strawberries and tales wow. from her childhood through adulthood and just sort of how she has lived her life in a way that's very intertwined with nature and how it's been a support system for her. So absolutely love that book and recommend it to everybody. Yeah. I'm going to read that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, okay. absolutely recommend it. Um, if you could be any animal for a day, what would it be? A hawk. I would definitely be a hawk. I would yeah. love to be an animal that can fly and uh, it would be nice to be like a predator so I wouldn't have to worry <laughs> as much yeah. um and I love hawks yeah I have kind of a special relationship with them so beautiful that would, I would love that cool now I'm interested because I know that you travel all the time so I really want to know your answer to this one but if you could be in any place in the whole world right now where would it be oh it's such a hard one <laughs> um <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think I would say Croatia. Yeah. I just have such a fondness for Croatia. It's where I went on my honeymoon and I went in 2017. Um, and it's just gorgeous. Like yeah. for one thing, I, I ha do have to say that my husband and I are big Game of Thrones fans and yeah. being in King's Landing was very fun for us. <laughs> but um the wine, the food, the ambiance of being right on the coast is is just gorgeous. And like it has so many fond memories for me. So I would Beautiful. love to go back. Nice. Good answer. All right. Last one. What does your perfect day look like? I guess I would say that this kind of changes <laughs> depending on the season, but in general, Spending time outdoors is a must in my perfect day. Like if I, being here in Ireland, I love to go do a good cliff walk or some wild sea swimming, um, whatever it is, I don't really care. And as long as I get to kind of be in nature and have a moment to ground and get out of my head and feel the world that's alive without, around me, that's, that's a perfect day. Nice. I love that too. That's something I especially feel like after winter when you spend more time inside and you're just mm -hmm. like craving that feeling of just even walking outside and bare feet is one of my most favorite things. And it's so simple, but as soon as I do it, even when it's freezing cold, 
you just feel like your whole body just melts. It's so nice. Absolutely. Yeah. It just is the best form of stress relief for me. I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where, where can everybody find you if they want to go in and find everything out about you? Yeah, so I am Mage by Moonlight pretty much everywhere online, um, on Instagram, on TikTok. I have my website as well, magebymoonlight.com. And so that's where you can stay up to date with what's happening in my world. Beautiful. And definitely go and check out Celeste's book, Heal the Witch Wound. It's amazing. And I'm just like, I'm so excited that you've done something like that. And that message is being spread out for people because there's so many people that need it. So well done on you uh, for doing that. Thank you. Thank Beautiful. You. And thank you so much for being here. It was so nice to chat with you as well. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, have a good day and everyone go and check out Celeste because like I said, she is amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Bye.